Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. You are listening to episode number 53 of the GateWorld Podcast. This is Darren. This is David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. It's a big week for Stargate. Last week was Comic-Con International in San Diego, and David is fresh back from Comic-Con. Are you fresh yet? I am now fresh, yes. The, the layer of film that I gathered from six hours of driving across country has now been eliminated. Sweet. Big show. We're going to do our Comic-Con debriefing and talk about all the cool Stargate Universe stuff that came out last week at the convention. And then we'll get to our main discussion, which is demolecularizing your soul. What happens to you when you step through the Stargate? Stargate News. So instead of doing our typical rundown of Stargate News and site features, when you really look at the news and, and the new stuff that was added to GateWorld in the last week, this is the Comic-Con debrief. So let's just mash it all together and talk about Comic-Con. What did you see? What didn't I see? First of all, did you have a good time? Overall, yes. I had a pretty decent time. Uh, I saw most of the stuff that I wanted to see, not everything. Made a lot of new friends, a couple of really formidable enemies. It was a very, very good event, I have to say. There was a lot of neat stuff this year. I mean, the typical person who goes to Comic-Con pays $75 for a overload of the senses mm-hmm. and millions of advertising images. If I had a sensory deprivation chamber, I would be in it tonight. I guarantee <laughs> I you. Just seeing those photos, I myself have never been to Comic-Con. But just seeing those photos of the crowds and hearing the stories of the lines and waiting in line for hours just to get into one panel. If you're lucky. I cannot even imagine. Claustrophobes, I imagine, have a a huge problem. You can't be one of these people who's like, oh, I've got to have all my personal space. Personal space is nuked while you are at Comic-Con. People are pushing. People are shoving. There are farts. There is B.O. everywhere (laughs) you go. Bad food and good food and really, really expensive parking and tips and tips and tips. It's expensive. So I am really glad that it's over and it's not going to be in my periphery again, at least not having to physically do it for another 357 days or so. Mm -hmm. Tell me, first of all, what you saw that was not Stargate that you either were really excited about seeing or you ended up seeing it and it made you really excited to see it at Comic-Con. V. Really? Absolutely, first cool. and foremost. Because that's one that I've been really excited about. V was was all the buzz when I was first getting into science fiction television. I was in like second grade when it first came out. I was seven year old, and I'm really excited about them remaking it. Yeah, I've never seen V. Never, never. I, I saw it a couple times at the pawn shop, a group of videos on the bottom shelf, and I've never paid much of it any consideration. Uh, and then you started getting into it a couple of months ago when they started making the announcements about Marina Baccarin being in it. I mean, she was on Firefly and SG-1 as, as Adria. And then Elizabeth Mitchell, who is huge on Lost as Juliet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I really had no intention of paying any focus to it. And then right at, while I was at the um, the Stargate booth, I spent some time at the Fox booth, which is Kitty Corn. And Kitty Corn to that booth is the V booth. And there, they it was like a V, like a registration center where you can become like like in the pilot episode where where you can become like a member of their entourage and it had a big video screen it had the shot of of anna played by marina baccarin uh announcing their race to the world i was like that's pretty good i have to probably see that working with fox right now and i was able to get into the reserve section 
at the Comic-Con screening for the V pilot. Cool. And we're in the back row of that, you know, and, and I'm talking with uh, my boss's husband. We're waiting for this thing to start up. Finally, it does. Everyone's hooting and hollering, and I begin to look around me, and to my right is Elizabeth Mitchell, and just in front of me is Anna Becker and, and Scott Wolf. <laughs> I'm four feet from them. So that was the coolest thing. So afterwards, I went backstage. I met Elizabeth Mitchell. It was a solid pilot. I mean, I think E! Online, one out of ten, I think E! Online gave it an 11. It is an exceptional 44 minutes of television. does absolutely everything you want it to do in a pilot. Everything that I wanted it to do, plus a couple of additional surprises, which I think will, will... I mean, it's Earth Final Conflict done well. And with a bigger budget, this is uh, going to be a new show of mine to watch. And That's they announced cool. that uh, it's going to bring in November. Are you into any of this Avatar or Battlestar stuff? I only heard uh, about Avatar after the fact, and I think a screening of that happened. I mean, this is James Cameron, so I mean, you should expect the best of the best. If that is positioned right, I think that could really reshape entertainment. That's all the people were talking about after they saw it. So that is really going to be huge. Didn't get to the Battlestar panel. I didn't get to the Sanctuary panel, even though I promised a couple of people that I would. Obviously, you know, we uh, the big SGU trailer premiered mm-hmm. at this thing. And a six-minute reel of just some amazing stuff that I'm not sure will ever be shown in that particular format. Not until the pilot comes out. Yeah, now let's figure this out. We, f- we figure there are three, or I think now... Uh, counting what sci-fi has put online there are four new pieces of video for sgu and one of them is this this video that runs about six and a half minutes that they were showing at the booth Mm -hmm. and that was the first thing that you told me about uh at the preview night that that this was uh, the first look at the external shots of the destiny was was on that video that's the first time we saw it we got a nice little fuzzy picture and put it on gate world and Launched all sorts of speculation, which was cool. So there's that one, and then they actually had a a full official trailer that MGM uh, put out online Mm -hmm. on Friday morning, I think. That was also playing at the booth. There was a slightly different version of that that had some other footage that they showed, I think, at the panel. If you go to GateWorld.net, this is what we're calling Comic-Con trailer number two, and you can watch it at sci-fi.com. Uh, or if you, I don't know why, for some reason they seem to have geocoded it. So if you're outside the U.S., there is a version of it on on YouTube by now. There's the trailer at the panel, which appeared on Sci.com, and I th- I think those are identical to what I saw. Then the yeah. six-minute piece at the booth, and then the reel that is on GateWorld now that was also at the booth. Okay. There are three videos out there, and you can watch two of them online. One of them yeah. is trailer number one. It's two minutes and 45 seconds-ish. It's at GateWorld right now, or you can go to sci-fi.com or YouTube and see trailer number two, which is what they mm-hmm. showed at the panel. The six-minute reel has a lot of that stuff, but it also has a ton of stuff that you won't see online. Yeah, and that was revealed in one of our news stories. We talked a lot about some of the, the shots that were introduced that lent themselves to all sorts of interesting stuff in the pilot. Yeah, so um, while you were busy running around Comic-Con, I was lonely at home in New Jersey with these trailers, and... Uh, capping the trailer so we have a high quality version of the trailer that i did screen caps from we have over 160 screen caps mm-hmm. from that first trailer and some lower quality from the flash video on sci-fi.com for trailer number two uh two new screen cap galleries that are on the stargate gallery so now you got to friday and that was the big sgu panel how'd that go the sgu panel went pretty well it wasn't the greatest stargate panel at comic-con I was a little displeased with a couple of the questions. Some of the questions were really good and fully warranted. 
mm-hmm. Brad and Rob were thrown a uh, a question about Atlantis and and where is it, and they handled it very well. An audience member mistook Jamil for being the a third generation African American for a father and grandfather whom this guy mentioned in the audience and Jamila is not related to them at all. Mm-hmm. So that was very embarrassing, but he handled that very well. Oops. And uh, yeah, there were a couple that were really inappropriate, but, uh, but there were some really good ones too. So our questions were much better than the Simpsons panel questions. Let me just put it that way. It's where <laughs> several of the audience, are we going to see Ralph this year? Are we going to see Otto this year? Come on. I have to say that our panel was better than the Simpsons panel. <laughs> I remember getting those questions back in the day when when there would be online Q&As with the producers. There would just be a laundry list of favorite characters. Are we going to see Martouf? When are we going to see Jacob again? Robert Carlyle, Bobby, and uh, Brad and Rob were fielded most of the questions. And to my great disappointment, none of the others really were. I was tempted to go up and talk about them because I've done my research on these guys and I know about them. I may not know who their their parents and grandparents are. I'm not going to ask that, but I felt really bad for them. I mean, they're they're just sitting up there like props, and no knows who these people are yet. The show hasn't premiered yet. I understand that, but I mean, at least be be. And a couple of people did try to ask questions that would be fielded to the entire group. And you're right. Next year, everyone will know who these people are. There will be questions that they can ask. That's what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to. You know, right now, a lot of this is anticipation. A lot of us are are Stargate fans. We like what we see. Uh, We like what's in the trailers. It looks like they're doing, uh, putting together a really nice show. But once the show premieres, you're going to make fans. You're going to have people who are fans of individual characters and individual actors. 90% of Comic-Con is all about what's coming up, you know, and the 10% of what's gone. And, you know, you, you have, you have actors who haven't performed in a single role in, in 30 years and they're still at these conventions you know, signing autographs because that's all that they do anymore and those folks are relegated to the very very back corner of Comic Con where they're, they're nice and pristine and are, and are aging gracefully or not gracefully but you know, that's, that's what it is it's all, that's what Comic Con is, it's all about anticipation for stuff that's coming out and if something does really well at Comic Con it tends to do well outside of Comic Con as well yeah. so it's, it's a really good measuring rod the other thing I wanted to point out that we got this week was there's some new photos out, there's some cast posters that I think were handed out at Comic-Con that we have uh, photos of. They're they're the full official Stargate Universe cast photos. Those Those were given out at the Stargate booth. At the booth, okay. There's a lot of interviews showing up online now that uh, we're trying to to keep up on all of them and link to interviews, uh, a few video, but mostly text interviews. And then the other thing that these guys did was they went to a lot of parties and rubbed elbows, and you got to go to some of those parties. I did attend the SGU party on the roof of the Salomar. What a beautiful hotel that is, downtown San Diego. Uh, some nice ice sculptures, rubbed elbows with Charlie Cohen, and uh, and made a, made a couple of new friends. Uh, Thomas Hughes, who has been developing the uh, new Stargate MGM site for over a year now. Mm-hmm. Major props to him. He is responsible for so much of that. Enjoyed seeing him. Uh, saw Brad briefly. And uh, Brian Jay and I. Uh, were able to spend a little bit of time together as well, and he was the first actor that we had a chance to connect with right when they were announced. He introduced me to Ming. Ming Na is oh, amazing. Cool. I cannot wait to talk with her a little bit more, and uh, David Blue as well. And I, and I, I met pretty much everyone that was there. You know, I talked. I talked with Robert Carlyle on the roof of the Salomar, Salomar for about five minutes, and had a real one-on-one with him about a lot of stuff. We really came to a nice understanding. 
at the end of that, and I'm looking forward to talking with him in in the uh, next few years. I also had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Kevin Cole. He claims he has never missed an episode of our podcast uh, and is just dying to join us at some point for a discussion or two one of these days. So I prevail upon you to nice. invite him aboard. He's a really, really nice guy. Hey, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if he's on, if he's never missed an episode. So Comic-Con 2009, big success, you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. On all counts. There are definitely some Stargate Universe fans that are exclusively Stargate Universe fans that are that are starting to to be born and come out of the woodwork, and I welcome them with open paws. I'm really glad that Universe got as big of a treatment from the studio as it did this year. They they rented out Ballroom 20, which is the big one. Yeah, uh, second largest. Which is second one largest. of the big ones. So if you want to see our full Comic Con coverage, head over to GateWorld.net. We've got. Uh, the trailer, we've got all those screen caps, we've got a full write-up of the panel, and uh, David is online taking a nap. We also have a few more things that are not Comic-Con related to talk about as far as site features goes. Let's give a quick shout-out to the Friday Five. Last week was the best of Todd, Todd the Wraith from Atlantis. Uh, and number five, my fifth favorite Todd episode is Spoils of War from Season 4. This is when the team finds that Todd has stolen some ZPMs and is running his own little Wraith clone factory that he's been now usurped from. So that's number five for the best of Todd, and check out GateWorld.net, last week's Friday Five, for the rest of them, and I want to hear what you guys think. And this week on The Five, we're talking about best cliffhangers. This is if I can get to it, because I'm moving across the country right now. This Friday, or soon thereafter, best cliffhanger moments. From season finales, mid-season, two-parters especially from both shows. Very cool. I look forward to seeing that one. There's a lot to choose from. DVD features uh, a couple weeks ago, or last week I should say this, because this week we're not launching anything. Last week we did uh, season five of SG-1 special features. We are posting season six special features of SG-1, which I believe are entirely... SG One Director Series, and there's a there's a slew of them, man. I mean, there's there's like twelve mm-hmm. or more, and uh, we've uh, screen capped all those, and you're going to be seeing those uh, installed in the gallery very soon. The Atlanta Season Five screen caps gallery is just about complete. Episodes nine through twelve are the only ones missing at this point. I understand they're going through editing right now. So uh, one through four episodes, one through four. Uh, were added this past uh, week. We are now at uh, 16 episodes for season five. So that gallery is almost completely done. And I'm glad that that's up. And then last but not least, this week we win tickets to the Creation Convention in Chicago in just about one month. Uh, Creation and GateWorld are partnering to give away a pair of preferred weekend tickets. That's you and a guest. Uh, it does not cover your airfare. It does not cover your hotel. So you must be able to get yourself to Chicago and uh, pay for your own accommodations. But the tickets are free to you if you win the contest, courtesy of Creation Entertainment. And uh, the convention is August 21st through 23rd of this year. And that contest deadline is tomorrow, July 30th. So get on it. Tickets include reserved seating for all three days of the convention, plus complimentary autographs from all guests except Rachel Luttrell, and admittance to the Friday evening cabaret. Very cool. The main discussion. 
This week's main discussion topic is demolecularizing your soul. Did I get that out right? Can you say that three times fast? Demolecularizing your soul. Demolecularizing your soul. Demolecularizing your soul. So, when you go through the wormhole, what happens? Well, you have the Sam Carter explanation. The Stargate demolecularizes you into energy and stores that uh, energy in its buffer until it can transfer all of you through the wormhole where the other Stargate reintegrates you. Now, that's fine for physical matter, but for those of us like Darren and I who believe that we are more than just the sum of our parts. Let's go outside of Carter's explanation and about the show, you know, getting over that. Like Much like Star Trek did with the transporter beam. This is simply a discussion that they never broached. What would happen to your soul? Does it know to follow? Does it occupy every point in space and time simultaneously so it really need to follow you? How does that work? Yeah, and we'll just use the term soul because it's a it's a, a nice condensation of a lot of concepts for us. You might think of it as katra, you might think of it as, as your mind or your consciousness or your spirit. All these concepts, I think, are wrapped up in, in what we're talking about when we use the word soul. It's, it's everything that you are that makes you who you are other than your flesh. I'd like to first distinguish between transporters and the Stargate. You gave a nice explanation of the way that the Stargate works, but it's not quite the same thing as, as a Star Trek transporter or, or an Asgard transporter. Or you might say an Asgard transporter, which basically the the fundamental conceit of technology in the Star Trek universe is that matter and energy are interchangeable. So you can take a transporter and convert a physical object or a person into energy and then transmit, I think basically you're talking about transmitting data. Mm-hmm. And then that data allows the transporter on the other end to reconstitute out of the energy that it has access to. Your transport is plugged into the wall and it, it can grab some energy and create matter out of it. Which requires a great deal of power. I think this has been theorized. As, uh, it's potentially possible, but the amount of energy required right. to convert matter into energy is enormous. And then, of course, you have to deal with the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, which is uh, you cannot see a, mo- a molecule's position and tell which direction it is going at the same time. You can only do one or the other. And unless you get over that hurdle, there is no way that you could possibly deconvert and reconvert the particles that make you you and expect to have them reassembled in precisely the right order like a stargate does again you're talking about transmitting data like like uh, i could i could send a file over the internet um you're not talking when you're talking about transporter technology you're not talking about actually sending a beam of energy that has to have like a line of sight from the ship to the surface or something like that Mm -hmm. When you're talking about the Stargate, it's, it's, I think it's more like that. It's not that one Stargate is transmitting data to the other Stargate through the wormhole. It's it passes that, through a there's, void. There is some essence that actually travels through the conduit, through the wormhole, that's not just zeros and ones. You think that's right? You're precisely right. You can see that in, in ring transporters. Often, with the ring transporters, they depict the energy pattern as a beam of light. So there is something being transferred there. The ring transporters are something that I think they've been pretty clever to steer around. That's a good point, yeah. They say that they are akin to Stargate technology, but not exactly like it. They don't, they don't use wormholes. They don't, they, they don't use anything like that to, to transfer. Right, but they, they work on the same principle over shorter distances. 
Exactly. It also might be worth pointing out that Asgard transporters are not necessarily exactly the same as Star Trek in this regard, because there are some instances where you see a visual effect on screen of some sort of physical beam or pulse directed up. I'm thinking it was when Jack was beamed on board yeah. the Ballistner in Fair Game. There's an actual visual effect of a pulse of light coming up from the planet and hitting Thor's ship, and that represents something physical being transported, not just zeros and ones. Like the ring transporters. So in that circumstance, I can definitely see your essence being transmitted with you. Most, mostly, I think. <laughs> Very gray territory here. Have I said that yet? So what is a human essence? What, what makes you you? And could you survive through a wormhole? I mean, if you've watched SG-1 True Science... If we did find a way to send something through a wormhole and to the other side, there's no telling how you'd come out. You'd probably be in pretty bad shape. The ancients have obviously figured out a way to do this pretty safely. Once you've accounted for stellar drift and planetary shifts, you won't come out like you've been inside a freezer for a half hour once you get yeah. to the other side. Obviously, the, the, the conceit in the show is that, that you and all of you manages to to go through the Stargate and you're in one piece. But Darren, if you, this was real life, do you think that that could happen? Do you think that what makes you you could really survive a trip through a wormhole after being deconstructed and reconstructed on the other end? Well, are you asking the physical question or the metaphysical question? Because if the, if the technology existed, sure, you could say that, that a physical object or a physical body could survive. The answer is already presupposed in the question. If the technology existed, then yes, it could happen. But the metaphysical question is, what about everything else that makes you you? What about your soul, your mind, your consciousness? Right, because unless we've invented to at, le at this point, when, or at whatever point it is when we can actually do something like travel through a Stargate, unless we've invented technology which can detect those sorts of things, <laughs> it'd be kind of hard to say, well, the person coming out the other end is who the person was who went yep. in from this side. Otherwise, you know, it's like Adrian Conrad. I mean, th there's no way to tell who that is. It's a, it's a ghoul, but if you don't know what a ghoul is and what it can do, who knows what, who that person is? That's a reference from Season 5, Desperate oh, Measures. Desperate Measures. My gut reaction is to say, yeah. I mean, if, if my physical body can make it through, then, then everything else that is connected to that, if you want to talk in weird metaphysical terms about connections between your soul and your body... Uh, that, that goes along with it. Uh, how that happens is maybe another question. I think as a person of faith, it's, it's perfectly appropriate for me to say God has a hand in that. God has a hand mm -hmm. in keeping, keeping my soul with my body. Mac Jackson has a similar opinion here. He says, Since your soul and therefore your mind are given to you by the grace of God, I believe they are allowed to follow your body to its destination on the other side of the gate. Possibly your soul is anchored to your body in that moment but allowed to be part of the universe for that split nanosecond that it goes through the galaxy. Your mind is a muscle like the rest of your body, but it's our soul who keeps us whole on the other side. Ooh. Nice one. <laughs> In Stargate, uh, like we've already established, you know, there is a conduit that, that is at work here where, where something passes through or either through a wormhole or through open air into outer space like Thor did to O'Neill in Nemesis and Fair Game. But in Star Trek, you are disassembled, and then you see... I mean, your body is essentially destroyed, mm -hmm. and then it is recreated somewhere else. So unless the soul can seek that new body out, that's where I kind of... Yeah, if you go into a transporter pattern buffer like Scotty did for 60-plus years... 
Does your soul go in there with it? Then you've got to ask, well, okay, if the, if the basic conceit is that matter and energy are interchangeable, does that mean that a soul and energy are interchangeable or that a soul is energy? Mm-hmm. I think that's very interesting. Assuming that uh, we figured out what a soul is in, in the 24th century, I don't think they have. I think they say that several times that we really have no idea. Um, so they, they just operate without that. But, yeah, I mean, would you want to be the first person to be transported? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Would you want to be the first person to go through a Stargate? When the camera was first uh, invented and, and brought to the Americas, there were stories of, of uh, Native peoples who did not want their picture to be taken because they believed that, that a camera robbed you of your soul. I could see the same sort of thing happening with uh, if this sort of technology were to arise, that, that there would be people who think that once you go through that thing, once you step through the Stargate or go go through a transporter, you're you're not the same thing on the other side. You they've figured out how to transport your physical body, but not your soul. So therefore, it's gone and you're a demon. Alan Wake says this also brings up a good question about what happens when your mind is transferred to another body, as they see others do many times in the series. Quantum Leap is great about this. You know, Quantum Leap is about Beckett's soul, his mind, whatever have you being transported into another person and he essentially becomes that person and person until his mission is completed but stargate has a host of accidents i'm thinking duet in season two of atlantis where the mind can be messed up and put into someone else or multiple minds and that's great for storytelling but the practicality of it of it is kind of spooky and not always believable especially when you're standing on the transporter pad with six other people get all the molecules right let alone get all the souls right that's what i really didn't understand about star trek about two people using one transporter pad and i thought the whole point of each separate transporter pad was to keep those patterns separated Mm -hmm. and yet several people can use one transporter pad so then you've got episodes like holiday where they feature mind transfer machines that are specifically designed to reprint what makes you you onto another person's brain, temporarily wiping it out, and then right. like later on putting you back on there again? Or this is this is a, a significant storytelling device for Stargate Universe, as as we know. Without giving away any spoilers, this this idea of uh, your mind being able to go and occupy somebody else's body is going to be something that we're going to see a lot of. I think you mentioned a point earlier about this question of could you survive the trip. Yeah. Could your soul survive the trip? And that reminded me of an episode of The Outer Limits. Uh, you remember the dinosaur episode where we meet this advanced race of dinosaurs who are working on us with this, this new transporter technology? I remember seeing an episode of uh, The Outer Limits with a talking velociraptor. Is that the one you're yeah, talking yeah, about? Yeah, that's it. So basically, they are uh, technologically advanced. They're, they're sharing this new technology with us. We have a colony that is too far away to reach by ship. But they've given us this uh, this transporter technology, and so what you do is is you can step into this technology, and it basically scans a copy of you, and then destroys your body, and then transmits wow. that data, and that is reconstituted by the receiving machine on the other end. And the the twist in this episode is well, the, what happens if something goes wrong, and the person on the sending end does not die? That uh, body is not destroyed. So now the data still gets transmitted, and there's one of you on each side. Who is the real you? Much like uh, that uh, episode of Next Gen with the two Rikers. 
even when the technology works properly, is that person still you? Yeah. If your physical body had to be destroyed in the process. It's an interesting question for which I have no answer. That's why we call it Stargate philosophy. Mm-hmm. So here's some other points of view on the stepping through the Stargate question. Rachel 500 says, My view of the universe is that at our core we are all pure energy. With our own unique energy signature, probably at a sub-quantum level of being, we haven't yet discovered. This energy is actually our soul or spirit and differentiates us from all the other forms of energy around us. So what about going through a stargate? If the premise is that everything turns into pure energy, I think when you travel through the wormhole, it's actually your energy, your soul, that makes the journey, liberated from its physical shell. You're free and in your purest form. So this is this is the idea that, that the body is, is ultimately... Uh, I don't know, it's probably going too far to say inconsequential, but your body is, is not part of the essence of who you are. Mm-hmm. So you, you can cast it off, and then your soul or spirit can go through the wormhole, and the receiving Stargate reconstitutes you a new body, because your body is not necessarily part of who you are at your core. And we've seen ascended beings who are already pure energy use the Stargate to get themselves from A to B, even in that form. Sam has said it, the, 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 the Stargate breaks you down to your most basic elements. So I guess an ascended being would remain th- whatever they are and go through and come out their side the exact same way. It seems like it's easier if you're already energy. Ramesses818 says, I am Jewish, and we think that God gave each individual a soul which is a portion of his being, his being God. That soul resides within us. It can interact with the physical realm and the spiritual realm. I think that the soul is physically and spiritually attached to the body. And as such, when a traveler goes through the gate, the soul would come with it as they are directly connected to each other. The soul resides in the body. When the body is dematerialized, so is the soul. A lot of interesting, different viewpoints. No way to tell which one is the real one, or if any of them are. Yeah, I, I mean, this this may not even be possible i mean the laws of physics say that this is not possible so who knows (laughs) you ask me now let me ask you what do you think what happens to you when you step through the stargate now in this case there since it is a conduit i think your soul would go i think it would follow now if you were going to be photocopied you know if you were going to be xeroxed Mm -hmm. then i don't know I don't know what the capability of the soul is. If it does exist, and I believe that it does exist, I think it's something that's pretty dang powerful. Um, so it may be able to. It may be able to follow you. But who's to say that the you on the end is 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 the real you? I mean, if, if I had gone through the Stargate and I had come out the other side and the, the, the new materialized me is talking to you right now, you know, I would say that, yes, I am me. I, I am everything that I was before. I have the feelings. I have the same emotions that I had before. I still get sick over the same things. My stomach turns to a knot when I think about a certain person or, you know, I, I have those kinds of feelings. But who's to say that it still really is you? Who's to say that you aren't missing something that you had before? All you have is the you right now. And that's why theologically I had to say the only person, the only being who is capable of making that decision, making that distinction and discerning whether or not you are you after you've gone through a transporter or a stargate is your creator.
Listener mail. Thanks to everyone for contributing to our discussion this week. We have a few other pieces of listener mail. Here's a voicemail from Chris. Hi, Darren and David. This is Chris from Southampton, England. Um, I've just read your review of Children of the Gods 2.0. And whilst I agree with it generally, uh, there are a couple of things I don't really agree with. Uh, The first of which is that it doesn't really sit with the rest of Stargate we know and love. For example, if you were to watch 2.0 and then go and watch The Enemy Within, the original second episode, then there are a number of inconsistencies there, and it just doesn't look right, because you go from seeing the new gate effect, for example, on one, to seeing the old gate effect on the other. The other thing I don't particularly enjoy is they removed one scene, which I think worked really well. It's the scene with Don S. Davis, God rest his soul, and Robert Wiseden. And General Hammond decides to give SG-1 a bit more time because they're running late, even though Samuels wants to shut the gate down now and lock out their IDCs. That was missing, and I felt more than anything else that really helped soften the character of General Hammond. Uh, I was just wondering what your thoughts were on that. I think, you know, in its current form, it makes a lot more sense. You know, I, I had... I understand that people had had reservations about about Children of the Gods. There's a dramatic change at the end. I'm not going to spoil it for anyone that decanonizes what follows. And, and I'm thinking to myself, you don't need to see that for what follows to make sense. In fact, yeah. it actually was like, wow, had you watched Children of the Gods Final Cut and then watched the immediate subsequent episode, if you're a new viewer, you'd be like, wow, I didn't even catch that. Let me go back and see if I can spot that, you know, and it wouldn't be there, but it still doesn't mean that it didn't happen. My favorite revision of the final cut besides all the new visual effects is the deletion of the line of Kowalski's where he says, wow, Colonel, you and I went on that entire mission together and I never knew you had a son Mm -hmm. because when he takes out that line, it immediately validates subsequent episodes one in particular that shows that Kowalski and O'Neill were doing black ops missions in the 80s, at which point he would have known about Charlie. So I take my hat off to Brad for spotting even the smallest detail like that. He knows his show. And I think it's not just that it it makes it fit episodes like The Gamekeeper better in in the continuity of Kowalski and O'Neill's relationship. I think it makes Children of the Gods better because before that line held those two characters at a distance from each other. Mm-hmm. And it's just not necessary. Mm-hmm. You see them slapping their hands on the back there. They're obviously very buddy-buddy, and deleting that line allows you to think, oh, yeah, they did, they did play street hockey together. They, when, when you see these things le- later, you are allowed to say to yourself, oh, yeah, I, I buy that they played street hockey together. I, I buy that they did all this and that. I buy that in point of view that alternate Kowalski mentions O'Neill as being his best friend, not some distant person who never knew that he had a son. So it makes a lot more sense in addition to all the other little goodies. Yeah, so Chris mentions this one specific scene with the ticking clock and Samuels wants to lock out the iris codes. Um, I think it is a good scene for for Hammond's character. It does make him a little bit more of the Hammond that that we know and love and and not the the hard-nosed general. But uh, I don't know, I'd say listen to the audio commentary on that. Brad talks a little bit about that and some other scenes. Another one of the cut Hammond scenes was when SG-0.5 was getting ready to go to Abydos for the first time. Jack and Sam and uh, Kowalski and those guys. And they Mm -hmm. stop in the gate room, and Hammond is in the window. He gives all that ticking clock exposition, this this big, long speech warning them that they they have so much time to get back. And uh, they lost all that. Which I think Showtime demanded a ticking clock element for the pilot. I think that's what that was. Or someone demanded a ticking clock element. I remember that now. 
Yeah, so in the commentary, Brad talks about the fact that, that a lot of what he wanted to cut was, was the, the constant reminder again and again that there's a ticking clock. And that's why that scene went. Lexa Pierce says, You guys have mentioned several times that you don't especially like Earth-based episodes, and I was wondering why. They tend to be among my favorite episodes. You get to see different sides of the characters out and about in the real world. Uh, I was a big fan of earlier Earth-based episodes, but when it got into the 20th episode dealing with the NID at that point, I'm sure, with the trust, it felt like we were treading a lot of familiar territory. The Atlantis episode, Outcast, I think that's the one, with the replicator on Earth. Mm -hmm. I've only seen that show once. I'm only seeing it when it aired. Yeah, me too. The disappointing thing about that one is it was, unfortunately, perfectly predictable for me. I saw everything coming before it happened. I didn't think the visual effects were that particularly spectacular. And I, I just wasn't, I wasn't thrilled with it. And so that is like the low point in terms of, in terms of Earth-based episodes. But then again, there are, there are some great Earth-based episodes, you know, like Home for Atlantis, which is not really an Earth-based episode at all, but you think it is. So I like that, that you can do an Earth-based episode without doing an Earth-based episode. And SG-1's holiday, we will feast on me. <laughs> You've got to love it. So there you go. Yeah, holiday is what I think of when I think of classic Earth-based episodes that I liked. And I think Lexa makes a very good point. I think having a discussion, Earth-based, not Earth-based, at some point would be a very valid discussion for you and I to have. Yeah, that would be an interesting topic. I think overall, Earth-based episodes tend to have a higher standard to meet. They they have yeah. to work a little harder for me to be good because, you know, if I want to watch a procedural investigation with detectives and, and all this on Earth, I'm going to watch CSI or Law & Order. I'm not going to watch Stargate. Like Vegas very blatantly attempted to make an homage to. Yeah. And very well done. And that was a fantastic episode. It was. Outcast, I'm not really eager to go back and watch. Try and think of another example. Sight Unseen in season six of SG-1. Oh, I couldn't stand it. There's always a nice little sci-fi twist. There's some connection to to the the universe out there, to our mythology. But um, it, they've, they've got a higher standard to meet. And, and watching a gas station attendant run around an airport just doesn't do it for me. So what should we talk about next week? The Stargate program being made public. Should the Stargate program be public? Public. Public. What I should say is what should you talk about next week? Because after 53 episodes, I need a break from you, frankly. No, you took a break in episode 30. Did I? Not completely. You took a break from the main discussion, so this is going to be my first... Oh, yeah, when I got sick. Right. This is going to be my first discussion behind the wheel. And Miss Tammy Farrar, I'm not even sure if she knows this yet. She does. She <laughs> does. I already asked her. So I'll be traveling next week. I'll be on the road and unable to record the podcast. So Tammy is going to be our very first official guest host. She is uh, going to definitely be dipping her feet in those in those murky waters. And she's going to be splashing around and frolicking and ha! You know how she is. She'll have but so time. this is uh, your question. And so, Darren, what is next week's question? Should the Stargate program be made public? What good, or if you, if you don't think that it should, what harm would this do to storytelling in the Stargate universe? So think about this from a writer's perspective. If the writers decided to make the Stargate program public, that's a game changer for the entire future of the Stargate universe. Every movie and every TV show that they do from here on out uh, is, is a little bit different. So if you, if you think it should be made public, 
how do you think that would help the storytelling? If you don't think it should be made public, why do you think that that would harm storytelling for the next decades of Stargate? I suggest that you think about episodes like 2010. Yep. And also The Road Not Taken. Those paint Earth in very different lights where the Stargate program was made public. And both of those are connected with either alien friends, and I put that in quotation, or alien foes. So next week, we have a lot of things to talk about with that one. So I really invite you to um, to ponder this. Some good feedback on this one. I think it's a good, good topic. It's one that we've been wanting to do for a while. So that's our August 5th show with David and Tammy. Should the Stargate program be public? And... God willing, I will be back on August 12th. We switch the order of these two shows. If you remember our What's Ahead from last week, we switch the order of these two because I want to talk about SG-1 Season 8 with David. And that's yep. what we're doing on August 12th. And then on August 19th, it's our last open line night of the summer before Stargate Universe starts. So we're going to shoot the breeze and you guys tell us what you want to hear us talk about. So thanks for tuning in. That was you a good show. awesome. It was a good show. Nice, tight, concise. Never stayed on one thing too long, you know? I like that a lot. I like mixing it up a little bit. So, our main discussion topic, we talked about demolecularizing your soul. And we also debriefed David of his briefs. No, of his Comic-Con experience. How do you know I wear briefs? Moving on. And for links to everything we talked about today, including all that awesome Stargate Universe stuff from Comic-Con, the trailers, the screen caps, the panel report, head over to GateWorld.net and look for the episode 53 show notes. Thanks for your feedback, past, present, but for future feedback, call us on the hotline 616-712-1647. And you can also leave us a message in the podcast feedback thread. Call in this week and make Tammy look good. I'm going to be listening to this show as a fan, and I want to be entertained. So Tammy will be here, and don't blow her up while I'm gone. Uh, no promises. Thank you.